everybody and welcome to Courtside with Joe Morelli. Joe Morelli, the head high school basketball, boys basketball beat writer for Hearst Connecticut Media's GameTimeCT.com. I am your host, Sean Patrick Bowley. Joining us a little later on the podcast is the head coach of Cromwell the and Connecticut basketball legend, John Pannone. And we had a long, great conversation with him, but uh, we'll get right to that in a little bit, but here for, to talk little bit of hoops is your man hoops joe morelli hoops how you doing good morning sean as uh the s- snowstorm is coming and all the games today are probably end up being postponed because the last schools didn't even go in today right um obviously the biggest news of last week was um the injury to dev ostrowski i mean yeah. two days after he scored became the 23rd player in cic history to be, get 2,000 points uh, he injures his right ankle or right foot next game uh, right uh, next game against yeah. new london two minutes in according to east um, Lime coach uh, Jeff Bernardi, and they obviously reevaluate and stuff, and he ends up having surgery last Thursday. Mm. So he's likely done for the year, and it's a devastating blow for East Lime because, I mean, obviously they have a nice team without him, but they didn't even receive a poll a vote in this week's poll. They lost to Weaver on Saturday. They just obviously you lose a player of that caliber where a lot of things revolve around him, and he's a guy who can create his own shot. It's just a devastating loss. And having seen him against Waterford and having handed Waterford their only loss, um, that's just really tough, and obviously I thought they could make a run in three, but without him, I just don't see oh, that. I think it's a, I mean, not just for East Lyme, I think it's a loss in the state. Sure. I think this is, you lose us. I think, I mean, you're arguably one of the top five players in the state. Um, at least guy who draws a lot of eyeballs. I mean, you know, I don't feel like we have that type of star power. He was the Mikey Bichetto of this year. I mean, he obviously he was there last year himself, but it's just, you lose a caliber kid like that, and it really just... Takes it's like a gut, it's a gut punch. It well, takes it, it a is. Lot. It takes your wind out of you. It is, and I mean, I was, I think, I was surprised, as I'm sure others were, that he only got. He's going to Miami Dade Junior College. I think he had a family connection there, and mm-hmm. I, I think he want, obviously wants to go Division One at some point. Obviously, that's not going to happen now, uh, because I know there are people who are interested and wanted to see him prep or whatever. So we'll mm-hmm. see, hopefully after. Re- recovering from this and um, so on and so forth. Right. The good news is you get this done. And I think that's look. They don't want to screw around. They get no, this done. Yeah. And he's got a big future ahead of him. Right. And obviously, that's Regardless the, the of what important happens. thing. Um, and one other thing of no, I mean, not. I mean, two two teams we don't get any love in this program because we don't talk about it much because they haven't gotten votes because they're in this big CCC. But Rocky Hill and in Newington, there was a fight that broke out late in the game last Thursday. I guess parents were on the court, and they end up having to stop the game, and they're going to resume with Newington leading by five, I believe it is, on Wednesday uh, with no fans at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. So it's unfortunate when fans get involved. Again, I wasn't there. I'm only reporting what happened, and uh, but obviously people know about it, and um, I'm sure people read about it on Game Time CT. Um, yeah. And I, and I, yeah, the feel-good story, uh, I, mean, I know we've talked about Notre Dame on this show, and talked to, we had Jason Shea on a couple weeks ago regarding the post-grad program, but it was a nice moment. And again, and not that they're the only program that does this because other programs have in the past, but to, to have They promoted their, it the best. They did, they did <laughs> and they had their team manager um, suit up. I mean, he had never played a game. Uh, Matt Callahan for Northwest Haven. He gets to get, and then obviously they're handling career last Friday. It's their last home game. 
because of the they're going to have a buy in the SEC tournament, they're going to have a buy in a Division One tournament, and then it's neutral sites after that. So anyway, long story short, he gets in the game. I mean, it really was a Rudy moment. If you've seen the movie, you'll understand. I mean, not only does he get in, he makes his first shot. Yeah, and I have if you've probably seen the video on YouTube on Twitter and. Uh, I mean, for those of us who've never really played like myself, I, you could appreciate something like that. Because, again, he's not going to get that moment. They'd be carried off. I mean, if you've seen the Rudy movie, you, you understand. And it's a, it's a nice moment, and uh, you're nice to see stories like that. Um, in the poll this week, top six remain the same. Shaker Heart, East, Catholic, Notre Dame West, Haven, Bassett, Windsor, Waterford, and Manchester. But now we have all the four remaining undefeated teams in the top ten. Shaker Heart, uh, excuse me, East at one, Notre Dame at three, Cromwell moves up to eight because Trumbull and Danbury lost twice. They're both out of the top ten this week. In this week is Glastonbury number nine. And the other undefeated team, we've had comments from them. We're wondering, can a Berkshire League get in? Well, maybe this is the year it happened because here they are. Wamogo at 18-0 coming off winning against another undefeated team in Classical Magnet. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk to John Pannon in a few minutes about how uh, you know the Division 5 state champions last year, who did they beat? Wamogo, who is now in Division 3. So and, and they're the, the obviously they clinched their first outright Berkshire League title since 1973. So yeah. um, amazing. They've had a great year, and Greg Hunt does a nice job up there. They don't get a lot of love down this way, but you know, good for them. And uh, and we're going to know how good they really are in Division Three because Division Three is tough. I'll so, tell you what, that kid Garrett uh, Sajerzan, yeah. yeah, he had 34, great against, player, and 33 this week. Saw him in the final last year, right? And a little love for Robert Simmons from Classical Magnet. He had a 59 point effort. Uh, earlier yeah. this week, and then a triple double, fifty nine points, twenty rebounds, and ten assists. Fifty nine points. Man. Yeah, that's the Fif- be- that's the high this year. The only thing, three guys from um, uh, been over fifty. Tenny from I know from Westfield set the school record, and there was one other one. Uh, the kid, um, actually, the kid from a one win team, South Windsor. I can't think of his name, but he he had a fifty point game against Greenwich, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and good for Simmons. Obviously, Classical Magnets. Obviously, another good team. So, a little bit of shake up in the top ten. Uh, um, yes. Just should. It, how about? I mean, the the big team coming down this way. How about uh, New Cannon last night beating Ridgefield? Yeah, getting well, to the they, FCAC they, they, tournament, they which is, it, they never we, do. We talk about them. We had a, you and I had a lively discussion about them. Oh, and yeah? I'm sure we'll be a lively discussion with John about uh, division <laughs> placement and stuff. But um, they dropped. They lost to Darien last week. Their only game they dropped out, and then they beat Ridgefield. And listen, New Cannon, regardless of what people think, they don't belong in four. And there are a lot of comments uh, on our poll and on our podcast that they agreed with you and that's fine but my only point was <laughs> nobody cared about new canaan nobody thought about new canaan until in may because they'd never done anything and now it's a big deal that's my only issue with it and but listen regardless they're in four that's the way it is for this year they're having a great year and kudos to them for the year they've Boo. had and to beat ridgefield hey you brought it up so <laughs> tough no Ridge, that's great yeah they, they beat ridgefield and you know what Ridge for again, Cromwell, St. Joe's, Ridgefield. I mean, there's some good good teams. It's going to be a really good tournament, whether you belong in it, don't belong in it. But anyway, I know that bugs you though when people are like, Joe, I, I'm with Sean on that. No, it doesn't bug <laughs> because I, I'm honestly, I've, I've adapted. Oh, no, it doesn't because right. I told you, it's like I had an argument with the Ledyard coach years ago when oh, we talked yeah. about it's the eye test. The eye test says that New Canaan should be in two by L. I mean, if you look at the eye, eye test, test if, you, if you look at the eye test, Ledger I thought should be two. He felt he should be in three, Ledger. Yeah, right. I, I, under, I understand it. 
And I, I would have had a problem. If they were in two or three, I wouldn't have cared. But they're in four, and it just didn't bother me. It's the one that stood out was St. Joe's, and nothing against the job that Kevin Welk has done with the program. They've had a good turnaround this year. But that's where they are. That's where they play. I mean, when Mo goes in three, that's a, a bone of contention. Nobody thought about New Canaan because they hadn't done anything in 10 years. Right. And now people are talking about them. And now, oh, they're in four. They shouldn't be in four. Well, okay, but they are, and that's the way it is. And let's see how they do. They, they may lose their first game. So, But anyway, kudos to them for beating Richfield last night. When we come back, oh yeah, when we yeah. come back, uh, we will have Cro- longtime Cromwell coach, Cromwell coach John Pannone. Don't miss a pass, pitch, or putt this season. Sign up for the Whistle newsletter and get the latest news and stories sent straight to your inbox from GameTimeCT.com. Welcome back to the Courtside with Joe Morelli podcast. Our guest today is the longtime Cromwell boys basketball coach in his 18th season. For now, the eighth-ranked and undefeated Cromwell Panthers, John Pannone. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Joe. John, does it seem like 18 years? I mean, you were East Granby for three, and then you get the Cromwell job, and 18 years later, here we are with two state championships. Does it seem that long? It doesn't seem that long, to be honest with you. You know, I've been um, been very lucky and fortunate to have great kids come through the program over the last 18 years that, uh, you know, made us successful. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how fast sometimes time just flies by. And, uh, you know, before you know it, I'm, you know, into my 21st season coaching high school basketball. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoying it, you know, not just because we're winning a lot of games either. I just, uh, I just like working with the high school age kids and, you know, hopefully helping them uh, not just on the basketball court, but, you know, for later on, helping them get into college, helping them find jobs, whatever it may be, not just, you know, during their time there, but, you know, when actually more importantly after they leave and hopefully continue to come back and we stay in touch. And that's, that's, that's the great satisfaction I feel from coaching high school. Uh, John, I, uh, as you know, you're 18 and 0, and uh, state long 22 game winning streak. Eighth in the poll. I know that a lot of that doesn't really matter to you. Does it matter to the kids? I wouldn't know. We really don't. We don't speak about it. Um, I'm going to be realistic. Listen, we're not the eighth best team in the state of Connecticut. Let's be honest. You know, we're undefeated. We're 18 and 0. Um, there are plenty of teams out there that you know are better than us with multiple losses. You know, just because we're undefeated, we get to kind of move up the ranks. Um, you know, we there are double L, L schools, even M schools that, you know, just as good or better than us that we would have a hard time beating. I didn't say we couldn't compete with them, but sometimes I, I look at the rankings and say that's, that's nice, and it's, I think it's a tribute to how hard the kids have worked that were 18-0 and, uh, and the time and effort they put in, not just in the season but in the off season. Uh, but, you know, to us, the only thing that matters is, you know, the winning in March, you know, making sure hopefully that we can contend for a league title and a state title. And obviously you're coming off a Division Five state championship last year over Wimogo. How many starters are back? And if you can talk about a couple of those kids who were back and who were, helped you win it last year and are helping you again this year. Yeah, we had two starters and uh, our first sub off the bench. Our The two starters, one is Gabe Charleston, our starting center from last year, who's uh you know, probably one of the best athletes I've coached at Cromwell over my 18 years. Uh, really jumps out of the gym, athletic, runs the court well, uh, good right hand, great left hand inside the lane. Uh, the other player is uh, Nick Wright, was a starter, um, also was an all-state football receiver Yeah. this past season. Um, you know, probably 
one of our the toughest matchups for other teams. About six two, six three can play inside, can play outside, uh, can play small forward, power forward, can play the two guards. He shoots it decently, so he's you know those two guys bring a lot of experience as well as JJ Tracy Gavin, who's probably the most surprising player I think on our team this year. You know he was our point guard off the bench last year, more so as a defensive uh, stopper and ran our offense very well. This year it actually is tied with Gabe as our leading scorer. Um, a great, great athlete, two-time All-State soccer player. Um, was going to play soccer in college. and uh, He's been a, a pleasant surprise the way he's shooting the ball and the way he's uh, leading our team on the court. Coach, tell us a little bit about Wright because you know I got to meet him. I cover football mainly, and I got to meet him um, you know, I guess it was a second game of the year. They were playing uh, North Brantford. Uh, yeah, North Brantford. And, and I'd never heard of him before. I'm like, who is this kid? And he's like, nah, I never, uh, nah, I haven't played football since I was, you know, 11th grade. Or no, sorry, 11, 11 years old or some, something crazy like right. that. And he was, and I said, well, you know, I'm, I go, I remember you during the basketball championship. He's like, yeah, I just wasn't getting the college looks that he was probably hoping for. Um, you know, uh, you know, as far as that is concerned, you know, did you expect him to, to kind of excel at, like that at football? I mean, he seems like a really just a gifted athlete overall. Yeah, I, I didn't. You know, I remember meeting with his parents, and uh, I think it was the end of May, and he was saying, I'm going to play football next year because pretty much he didn't think he was going to, uh, I guess, receive any offers to play in college basketball. Um well, I kind of disagreed with him at that point in time. I wasn't. I certainly was not going to tell him he couldn't play football. I would never do that to a student athlete or any other sport. But you know, I think um, he he just wanted to go down that road, wanted to play. Ended up being a you know an all-state receiver. I mean, I, I think he's good enough player to play at Division three at certain places without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, he had kind of made up his mind he was going to give football a shot, and you know, I worked out great for him. He had a great season. Yeah. The team had a great and. Uh, I don't know if he still has options to play football at the next level. Um, I think, unfortunately, some of the things that are hurting him is that uh, it wasn't a, you know that's not the greatest football league, and he's only played for one year. So I think there's some football coaches that are a little skeptical about he's only played for a year. Right. I, I think he did sign though, didn't he? Or uh, as far as I no, know, no, he hasn't signed okay. anywhere. No, he has not signed anywhere. Okay. So um he's looking at, at a couple of different places i know he had a visit to stonehill uh mm-hmm. i know he's looking at southern right um i think western may be a possibility but uh we'll see you know okay. we'll see what options he had open i just wish he had kept the basketball option a little bit more open for himself but he kind of thought he was going to go down the football road and we'll see what happens yeah, he's, he seems like a really great athlete and he's a guy who can really help yeah he's a very good athlete you know he's got good hands he runs well uh, you know he's got great court vision. He sees the. You know, I'm sure he sees. The, I don't can't speak to his football prowess, but I can speak to the basketball aspect. That you know he's a he knows how to play the game. You know he knows has instincts. You know he played basketball. You know he's playing AAU for a lot of years too. So he, you know he he knows the game. And uh, the only thing that we we get on him about is that he passes too much. He's not more. He should be shooting the ball more and being more aggressive <laughs> on the offensive end versus trying to be a distributor. Yeah. Seems like a humble kid, a, a consummate team player. They, I, I can yeah. attest, I can attest to the fact, coach, that he has great field vision. I, I, I mean, he was like dodging tackles and moving up the field like he was, you know, running point for the football team. <laughs> it was it just yeah, he's, uh, he's he's athletic, no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, John Panone joining us on the uh, 
courtside podcast. John, obviously, to be 18-0, you got to be good, you got to be lucky, and you got to be both. Uh, I assume you agree with that, that that has been the case. And uh, But why is this team undefeated at this point and having lo- not lost a game in uh, almost a year? I think it's a testament to how hard the kids work. Um, I think it's testament also that, you know, we, we take it very seriously that we prepare for every game. And we prepare no different for this team than we would for the top team versus the bottom team. Every, you know, the preparation is the same. The, the, the attention to detail is the same. Um, you know, we don't, we don't take, we try not to take any plays off. That's our mindset. That's our personality. Um, you know, we can, we know that we may get beat, but we, we don't want to be losers. We don't want to, that we lost. We don't, we can handle getting beat. Someone plays better than us and they beat us. We're fine with that. The, the thing that we don't like at Cromwell is that when we lose, you know, we didn't do our end. We didn't execute. We didn't, you know, play with all that effort that we normally play with. We just, uh, we were mentally just, we broke down mentally. Those, those are the things that we just can't tolerate at Cromwell and we don't. Um, and I've been very fortunate and it's a mindset. It took, you know, that didn't happen overnight at Cromwell. It took a long time to build that mindset and, uh, I think the big reason for our success is what these kids do in the off season. You know, we're always telling them you got to get in the weight room, you got to play, uh, you got to stay, keep yourself in condition, and uh, you know, it, it's a lot of work. You know, staying on top of them, making sure they're going to camps, playing in the summer leagues, playing in the fall leagues, uh, and I think people, what people don't understand is this is this is class S. So, JJ, the JJ Tracy Gavin and the Nick Wrights. They're playing football and soccer. So these kids don't touch a basketball for three and a half months before they come into basketball season. Right. That, that's hard to do. Yeah. You don't get that in L and double L, maybe even M. You know, these kids are more specialized. At Class S, you're getting best athletes, and they're playing two sports minimum, maybe three. So, um, you know, we're fortunate we've had three or four kids come through to our pipeline on a yearly basis just pretty much play basketball. But, you know, J.J., we have two two of our best athletes play other sports. So it took us a while, you know, for them to, you know, get back into the basketball shape, basketball mindset. And the thing that's surprising about this team is that they didn't play a lot of basketball together. You know, those guys weren't involved in the fall. Uh, we had five seniors last year that played from fourth grade on. Pretty much that's all they did play was basketball or baseball, which was after the season. So there was no fall uh, interruption, per se. And, uh, you know, you got to be good. We, we've had some close games. We've been fortunate. We could have easily gotten beaten in the Valley game. We, you know, we, we made a couple plays down the stretch. But um, I think the way we defend is, is what we pride ourselves on. I think when we defend like that, when we're having bad nights offensively, our defense carries us. John, the last time you did lose was in the Shoreline Tournament Final against East Hampton last year. And I was trying to give you an out, and the way I was asking the question, and you cut me off, and you said, "Joe, are you asking me about moral victories? We don't believe in those here. Can you explain?" No, we don't do. We don't. We don't believe in moral well, victories. We don't believe. Yeah, go ahead. We, you know, they don't, there's no column for there's no W L and then N W for moral victory, M V for moral victory. There's no column for that. Um, you know, and, and there's no. And I try to teach the kids. You know, in life, you don't get. You don't get a trophy because you finished second. You, you lost a job, or you didn't get into the school that you really wanted to go to because you didn't put the work in as a freshman, and your grades reflected as a senior. Now you're on a waiting list; you can't get in. Well, those are the type of things that we try to, you know, teach that you, you know, you don't get. Sometimes life isn't life isn't fair. Sometimes you don't get a second chance, contrary to what they may want to teach you. 
You don't get a second chance. This is the only opportunity you get. So you got to take advantage of it while you're fortunate enough to be in that situation or that opportunity. No one's going to hand it to you. No one's going to say, you know, go out and say, oh, it's yours. You got to go out and earn it. And you got to go take it. And, you know, and usually that means you got to be the best prepared team. And so, um, when if all those things happen, we give it our best effort and we fall a little short, then, you know, we're okay with that. But, um, you know, I tell the kids all the time, you know, there's nothing, you know, it's a second-place game. No one, You don't want to be playing in that game. So uh, it's it's not cruel. It's not hard. It, you know, it probably doesn't fly, fly in the face of what the educational world wants to hear. But this is this is teaching in a different aspect. You're trying, I'm preparing kids for the real world. Right. So when adversity hits, what are you going to do? You're going to go run home or you're going to go out and face the head on, cha- take the challenge, and, and you're going to persevere. And, you know, it's it's hard. I have four kids. I mean, parents are parents, and they try to be protective, and I and I get it. But, you know, sometimes you got to make – you got to hold these kids accountable for their actions. And if you do that, you're only helping them for later on in life. Sounds like that's something that, you know, you're – I mean, you, you're passionate about, and it sounds like that's something that you might – I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong – that you might think maybe you've gotten lost over the years, you know, that, that type of, uh, you know, mindset. Would you say uh, so, Coach? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, it's gotten. It's not gotten lost. It's gone to holding an individual accountable. To okay, we'll just say it's the group. Well, that's not the group. You have to hold each each player accountable for their actions, and you know the actions of one affects the actions of all. And you know, you just because you're the 15th guy in the team doesn't mean you get to not touch the line when you're running a sprint. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. That you know it may work some places, but doesn't work for us. That's that's not what is permitted. Why should you get it? Why should you not touch line when everybody else does? You know, why should when one person gets a uh, a conduct grade that's detrimental that we feel shouldn't happen? Everyone participates in the conditioning program for that, you know, bad effort. So, um, I, I think kids know that you know that if you hold them accountable and they know exactly from the beginning what what you're looking for them to do. Which I sometimes I think that message isn't conveyed. Like, okay, well, I didn't know I had to be here. Well, why are you showing up late for school? You walk to school. Why are you late? Right. Uh, I don't know. Well, then you know what? There's, then there's a consequence for your action because that's not acceptable. So you're not late for practice, but you can be late for school. It doesn't work that way. So um, I, I, I'm really big into believing and holding kids accountable. That's all. Um. Do you feel like maybe parents have kind of let that go over the years? You know, like the new generation of parents? I mean, maybe like compared to like your generation. Is that something you, you kind of see that maybe parents are getting a little more, you know, I don't know, what's the what's the word I want to use here? Yeah, parents, parents are, they want to be... Kindergarten more almost. Involved. Yeah, they're, they're more involved from the early stages. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes I think the worst thing in the world, and I, I understand that parents sometimes have to step up to coach, otherwise there's nobody else to coach these travel teams and park and rec, yeah. and I understand that. Sometimes that's the worst thing for a kid. You know, he gets his he gets his father for four or five years as a coach. Right. And unfortunately, he's never seen anybody else coach. He hasn't seen a different style of coaching. He hasn't seen a different uh, way of practice or learn from a, a different coach. So, and, it, and I understand that's 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 what it is. I understand that, but I think some of that is just what we call the helicopter effect. You know, right. parents hovering over the top, just you know, watching every single step versus. Let the kid be a kid. Let let him let him learn to fail. Right. 
That's important. He needs to yeah. fail. He needs to fail because not everything is going to be right all the time. He needs to fail. And then we'll, when then we're going to see, well, is he going to get up? Or is he not going to get up? Or is he going to have a bad attitude about, I'm going to quit? So, I mean, you gotta you got to let him fail and see what their reactions are. And then, you know, as a coach, you have to say, listen, this isn't the last time you're going to fall down. It's how many times you're going to get back up and, and continue going after it. So um, that's where I think you see the parents kind of like, you know, being parents, they can't yeah. help. That's the parental instincts. Is oh, let me go help my kid. Where versus, I'll take a step back and let's see what your son does. You know, to right. see what his reaction is. Is he going to put his head down? Is he going to walk back instead of sprint back? Is he going to jog? Is he going to pout? And you know, those all those nonverbal to me. I'm always looking at that stuff with my kids. We watch the film. We watch them. Tell them, look at your nonverbal. And we always try to tell them somebody's watching you all the time. Yep. Somebody's always watching. You don't know who's in the stands. You don't know if there's a college coach out there or a scout or if there's somebody here who just happens to be here to scout you and say, wow, we can go after this kid because look at his look at his attitude. He misses one shot. He, he doesn't even sprint back. He's, he's barking at his teammates, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're big into that. We're probably over the top about it <laughs> and take it to another level. But, you know, it's, it's a big deal because, you know, to me, when you do that, you show signs of weakness that you just – you know, you, you don't care. You you pout and you don't sprint back, and and you don't do the right thing. You know, we're always in, do the right thing. Just do the right thing for yourself and for your team. What would you say to? I mean, it seems like over the past, I don't know, maybe ten years, the, the parent. I mean, we've always complained about parents and but it seems like there's been on their end there've been a little bit of pushback from them and like a lot of coaches are just kind of throwing their hands up and saying I don't want to deal with this anymore I'm out of here you know what would you say to yeah. you know how how do we fix that coach I think you nip that in the bud you got to have a parent meeting in the beginning of the season mm-hmm. I I I think you have to let the parents know listen I'm the head coach I make the decisions I have, I have the best interest of your son in my mind. I'm going to do what's right for your son and right for the team. And I think if you tell them, here are the rules. Playing the time, that's not a discussion. You know, you want to talk to me about his work ethic. You don't think he's working hard, not getting a chance. But we're not talking about playing time. And I, and I think if you lay the rules out with the parents, well, why didn't my son not start? Well, he came late to school. Right. And if you, and if you tell him at the beginning of the year, if he comes late to school, he's not going to start the next game. Or if you think you're going to go, uh, you know, you you took a vacation or something crazy like that, and you missed a game, well, you're not playing the next game. And I think parents push it because I think sometimes not all the administrators back up the coaches and the athletic directors. Right. Well, so that's, that's just it. When that man. happens, then, you know, the coach is put in a position, a compromising position, because if the principal says, well, or the AD says, you you got to play him the next game. But he wasn't here. He missed practice. Uh, you got to play him. And that's where that's where you see all these things start to to boil and become issues with coaches because, you know, that's that's not the right thing to do. So yeah, well, that's what's uh, changed. Unfortunately, that's what's changed. I think you see more and more of that. I mean, I hear it from other coaches, and it's like you know, you know, we can't do this. We couldn't practice Sunday. We couldn't do this, and you know, it's it's unfortunate that you know a lot of us, you know, the parents don't they forget sometimes forget the pecking order. You're supposed to go to the coach, right? Then the AD, then the principal. Right, but I mean, you... I was an athletic, I was an athletic director for two years. I know the pecking order, <laughs> but you know, they, parents know it too. But they just want to go right to the AD or the, or the principal. But that's what's so. been allowed to change, John. Back when I was in high school, and, and Sean was in high school, and, and even bef- after you, 
it, that's what ha- has changed the pecking order. You can go above them and get some somewhere, yep. whereas before you, it was never allowed. Where teachers were never held to the accountable they are today. The whole world has changed. Uh, where my, parents have my said, parents. When I played high school basketball in college, and, and the coach said, you know, run through the wall, my parents said, well, then the coach said, run through the wall. Yes, yeah, so then go run through the wall. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how it was. He told you to go run through the wall, then go run through the wall. Don't, what are you crying to me for? You know, and um, it, it's different now. I mean, I was, that was a long time ago in the 70s, and the world has changed, and I understand that. But, you know, there's, um, unfortunately, I think sometimes the, uh, you know, there's just a disconnect with parents and coaches that there's a disconnect in that they feel that their son is a better player than he is, and or sometimes parents think there's a personal animosity toward my kid, um, which I don't see very – I mean, I think the coach's responsibility to play the best five players, and I tell the parents too. That could be five freshmen. Your son could have been a star sophomore in junior year, but yeah. five freshmen come in and freshman comes in, he's a better player. The, my my responsibility is to put the best team on that court possible for help these kids be the most successful most successful positions. Right. That means a freshman comes in and plays over a senior, it's a hard decision, but that's the right decision. And that's hard for a parent. I understand. My my oh, kids yeah. played sports. I understand. I understand. Yeah. But that's how it's supposed to be. It's not like, okay, he's a senior and he's a freshman, he sits. Well, no, he's Three times the player, the senior, he's got to play. Right. I think parents feel like they, you know, it's almost like a popularity contest, like with their other friends or something. No, they're, they, they think they're entitled because their son's a senior yeah, or a junior. Right. Hmm. John, John Pannone joining not, us. It's not, it's not true. Right. I hate to say it. It's not true. Yeah. I'm with you, Coach, man. I'm, I don't have any kids, but I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Uh, it's tough. But the other thing is, sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting Joe off, but another thing is uh, – I mean, some of these some of these administrators. I don't want to like you know say with time, but some of them sometimes they don't even know what they're getting into. They they don't know how to handle this stuff. I don't know if that's the case, or if you've heard anecdotal evidence of that stuff, or you know so they they bring in some administrator may have like you know a, a, I don't know like a, a a few credentials up on their wall, but they don't know how to handle the the parent coach dynamic. Yeah, I, I think some some administrators probably don't. Uh, you know, depending on the school, because sometimes it could be an administrator, it could be a assistant principal. There's no AD; he's right. covering that role. May uh, never played a sport event in his life, he or she. Mm. Um, so you know, it's obviously beneficial if the athletic director or if it's the uh, assistant principal had some type of athletic background. It's always helpful because I think without that experience, it's kind of hard to be. Uh, arbitrary and okay. I understand the parents' point of view. I understand the coaches' point of view. But if you never played, I think you have to. It's kind of hard to make a a, a fair decision without having played. I think. Um, but you know, I, I you know, it, it's become a situation where you know uh, a lot of ads are full time now, and they have to. You know, obviously, ad can't play sixteen different sports. <laughs> Right, but having played, having played one sport or, or two sports in high school gives you a, a, a just gives you a, a background that you can't you know you can't otherwise duplicate. You know, if you never if you never played, it's kind of hard to say. Right, well, I played and then I and I did coach and then I'm an athletic director. So that makes perfect sense, kind of. You know, uh, it just it's helpful in making decisions. I think when it comes down to parents and, and coaches and players. Cromwell coach John Pannone joining us on the podcast. Uh, you mentioned playing. Um, last week our guest was East Catholic coach Luke Riley, and 
you played for his dad, Joe, in the 70s, and he ended up being recruited by Raleigh Massimino and playing for Villanova. And if people don't know what Giampano looks like, he still cuts an intimidating figure yeah. at six foot eight. Um, <laughs> talk about playing for those two men and part of what you were just talking about, how to make you run through a wall, that kind of stuff, how praying for those two men made you who you are today. South Catholic, right? South Catholic, yes. Right. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I, was so, I was so fortunate to have played for uh, Joe Riley at South Catholic. Um, you know, I, when I think back to my times playing there and, and the guys, the kids, the guys I played with and the, and the coaches, I, the coaching that I received and everything, and not just the coaching, but, you know, also, like, coaching you, like, how they prepare for life and getting ready for the next step in college and studying and being accountable. Uh, I always felt Joe Riley was always ahead of the curve. I just thought he was just one step ahead. When I look back and say, wow, he was doing this when nobody was doing that. They were, we were watching film when nobody watched film. We were doing this, you know, when nobody was doing this. We used to do a retreat weekend where we, you know, it was like a bonding session with the team. When not, not too many people were doing that in the 70s. Um, you know, he, and, you know, obviously he was a great coach, tactician, X and O, great preparer, but tough. I mean, people... People don't realize, you know, when you coach in the 70s, it wasn't like you're coaching now, you know. Uh, he, he was he let you know, you know, he was the boss. He let you know that, you know, things were done a certain way. Um, and it wasn't like, let's have a conversation about how we're going to do this. <laughs> you know, it was done this way, and you did it that way. And, you know, usually it was because that's the best way to be successful. And, you know, he, he held you accountable. And, uh, you know, he, he was a great Fundamental coach taught everybody the fundamentals of inside, back to the basket. Also could teach guards. I mean, just a great, solid coach to get you ready for, you know, to play at the next level and a great motivator, too. Um, I think people don't realize why those teams, we played so hard all the time. It was just like a natural instinct. So, uh, and then when I went on to college and played for Coach Massimino, uh, kind of an extension of Coach Riley, but obviously at the college level, it's a little different. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, you think you have it tough because I'm yelling at you or I'm getting on you. You guys have no idea. <laughs> no idea what I went through for four years. And I was supposed to be one of the better players on the team, and I was this and that. I caught it day in and day out for four years. Every day wasn't good enough. You could do better. You're, you, you're capable of being doing more. You can become a better leader. You didn't do, Right in this moment, you didn't help him out. You didn't do this. You didn't step up at this time. And it was always, you know, Push, 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 and uh, you know. I think, so when I tell kids that, they just shake their heads sometimes. Like, my God, <laughs> I don't think they feel sorry for me because I'm pushing them so hard. But uh, they get the idea that you know, if you want to be, you know, we say good is the disease of great. You want to be great, well, then you got to get out of being good. You got to get out of your comfort zone. And what Coach Maz really did was get you out of your comfort zone to get you to think that, you know, you're better than you are. You can do this. You, you know, you, the harder you work, the more success you're going to have. And, uh, you know, nobody outworked that guy. I don't, I, no one. I mean, yeah. six, six o'clock in the morning on Sundays, six o'clock Monday through Saturdays as well. I mean, just constantly working, you know, either what, recruiting back then when you could recruit seven days a week, phone calls, uh, you know, getting the kids – I remember the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 o'clock workouts in the morning in the preseason and, you know, all those type of things that, you know, just they just linger with you. You, know, you never forget them, you know, and we tell kids about this and the workouts and, 
You know, and, and, and listen, that's what you want to be. If you want to be a college athlete, you better prepare yourself because that's what it's going to take. And, you know, I've seen a lot of kids go to college and just couldn't take it. You know, just it's, I'm not ready for it. You know, just it was too much. At least I, I'm proud to say that when my kids go, whether they play or not, they do play. So it's, you know, I've, you, whatever they're going to tell you, you've already heard it plus some. You're going to be prepared mentally for whatever's going to come your way. And it's true. I mean, I got kids that come back and uh, say, yeah, this kid quit because, you know, he got, he got yelled at for the first time and he couldn't take it and he, and he quit. Well, obviously, you, you didn't have that problem. <laughs> you got yelled at plenty. <laughs> and, you know, I don't just yell to yell at him. I'm yelling at him to correct something. It's not just yelling to yell. It's yell to make a point or to get his attention that, you know, you're capable of more, you can be more aggressive. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of that fact that when my kids do leave, that when they go somewhere for a Division three or a Division two and they're trying out if they're on scholarship, that they know exactly that they pretty much have seen it all, you know, playing for me for the four years. should mention that John was a uh, three-time, right, Coach? Three-time Big East, first-team Big East, right? 80, I believe so. 81 to 83. I mean, he played in the beginning of that, that conference. Uh, you miss it? You miss watching those Big East games, Coach? I, I do. I mean, I wish. I mean, I miss the the contact because God knows, God knows not. You can't really hit anybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they tried the, the six game foul is, rule, so I mean, you know. Yeah, games just change. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, you know obviously with the three point line, which I think was in my last uh, no, it was the year after I graduated. Eighty five, they kicked it, and then you know when my first couple years in college, I didn't have a shot clock, so the game is it's a different yeah. game. It's a better game, I think. Uh, you know, as far as up and down and and, and playing that way, and uh, you know, I, I I do man those old Big East battles. I know that thirty for thirty in the Big East. I mean, yeah, uh, yep. it was real battles. I mean, kids looked at it. Some of my kids and say like, "Wow, you know, just, yeah." He, he just literally punched the guy in the stomach, and no big deal. Called a foul and kept playing. Now you'd be maybe suspended for the season and you right. know all this other. <laughs> Back then, it was you know it wasn't it wasn't for if you were weak of heart it, re- it wasn't a place for you to play you know it was it was tough street ball and uh, Who? You, if you didn't have the mental capacity and the physical capacity you know you you just didn't you didn't get out there it was tough. Who were some of the toughest guys you played against, or who I mean you know and and some of the toughest places in the Big East to play? Like give me give me some of your top. You know, uh, you know I obviously had to play against Patrick Ewing for two years. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know just. Tough, mean, nasty, great player, but you know, just play with a real edge to him. You know, I, going against James Worthy, uh, my junior year, I mean, just a great player. Sampson, Olajuwon. I mean, I mean, I played. A, I was in an era where I played against some <laughs> Hall of Famers that were, you know, second to none. And uh, it, it's just, you know, playing in some of those old places. You know, we played it up at Syracuse. I think at one time, I think my senior was like thirty-three. That was a school. It was a record for on site you know and, yep. and there were and there were real rivalries back then this was not a you know there was no lining up after the game and you know exchanging this there was none of that i mean there was it was nasty from the time you got on the court till the game was over and sometimes you know you had to go to one side they had to go to the other it was it wasn't a feel good league you know it was it was about winning and losing and uh every game was you know like life and death back then and it felt like so uh and everyone was trying to, you know, trying to get a piece of the pie. And everyone was trying to claim stake of being the best team, you know, the beast of the East. And, 
when you're playing at some of these places like in Syracuse and even when we played in the old field house at UConn, I remember. Yeah. I mean, that was brutal up there. <laughs> well, we played there one year before they played in Hartford and, you know, these old places, the old field house at Villanova and, and at St. John's. I mean, those were at Seton Hall. I mean, these were, these were these old Catholic colleges with the stages. You know, here's the gym and there's the stage. <laughs> it held about 3,200 people and it was like people I mean, swearing at you, throwing stuff at you, berating you every second of you know every second of the game. So those were they were all tough places to play at. Jump not in. like now where they tell you you cannot. It's not like in high school they tell you, you can't even make a noise during a free. No, oh, I know that's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Oh my! Uh, they, you know what else we need in high school, coach? We need bands. We need the band. We need a pep band in there. Come on. Yeah, we have. A, there's a couple of things. I know Cogginsog in our league has a pep band. Um, we do. I know we had one for a couple of years at Cromwell, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a great idea. I uh, really love that. I want to do just that. At a, uh, I was just at a game, the Scouts St. Joe's. I think St. Joe's playing Trumbull at Fairfield. It was a coaches versus, it was a great environment. Probably 20, 2,500 people in the bands and the pep band was in the corner. It's great. You know, it's just, those, you know, it's hard to read. I know Luke Riley spoke a little bit about when he went down to Bassett and, you know, it's great to play in front of a packed house and, you know, the whole thing. And when I played in high school, you didn't buy a ticket. Like we played East or Northwest or Aquinas. You didn't buy a ticket during school. That's when they used to sell them after school. Yeah. You couldn't even get it. Yeah, you, you were even out. Don't even bother going, showing up at, you know, at, uh, we'll play at six and eight. You don't, don't bother showing up at seven to get a ticket because they're gone. You know, there's no more tickets. So hmm. it's changed that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John Pannone joining us on the podcast. Yeah, um, thinking of kids, your own is in his first year at Ram. How many Ram games have you been to, and how often do you talk and shop with him on the phone? Uh, I went to his first game, and uh, I haven't seen one since. You know, I've seen uh, tapes of he showed it to me, and you know, it's uh, you know, I only I don't advise him only if he asks any questions. My son, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't need his father to tell him what to do. But you know, you know, from an experience standpoint, he's always asked me like certain you know this situation or this kid wants to do this or he's leaving for a you know a college visit and we got practice and how do I hand, you know you know of course he just told them the night before and how do I handle it and you know what do you do for the next game and those are just things that you only you know you can only learn with experience but um you know I think he has six wins uh he's got to win two out of three it's going to be you know he's got tough matchups coming up but you know he, I tell him you're not changing the wins and losses yeah that's great but you're, you're changing a culture you know, you, that takes time. That's hard, and you got to get kids to buy in, and you got to get to the younger kids and the youth programs, and you got to get to those coaches, and you got to build a culture. You have to build a mindset that you know when you get to high school, you know everyone's on the same page. This is what we did in sixth, seventh, and eighth. You know, we're trying to play man-to-man defense. We're trying to run certain stuff on certain fundamentals on offense that we want to run. So when those kids come up to the high school level, it's not like, okay, we got to do retrain them or re-coach them all over again if you can help it. Um, but it's going to take time. You know, that that program was down for the last three years, didn't win a lot of games, and, uh, you know, I hope my son, uh, I, I think he's doing a great job. John, are you looking forward to seeing how you guys are going to do in March? I am. I'm very, I'm very interested, and in, I know we had old line for the last game of the year. Well, that would be nice to win that one. Uh, next Monday. You know, me, it's next lose. Monday. It's not the end. It's not the end of the world. You know how we play. You know, are we getting better? Are we? You know, are we getting more focused? Are we? Are we covering the details? We get into March. That to me is more important because, uh, you know, you don't get a second chance. You know, you 
you make a mistake here, you don't run the play right, you don't screen the guy, and it blows. The, and you, you don't make the play, you lose. And, and we've harped on it all year. One play could make the difference between winning and losing. And it's not necessarily the play at the end of the game. It's the layup we missed in the second quarter. It's the blown assignment on defense. It's the loose ball that we don't grab, and they take it away from us. So um, we try to let them know that doesn't come down to the last play. There's so many other things that happen in the first 30 minutes that probably – decide the outcome because we didn't do this, this, and this, or they did that and that, and we didn't make any adjustments. So uh, now that's up to me. I, and I, I have to put them in the best possible position where they can be the most successful. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, we're doing this, and sometimes we're doing that. And, you know, uh, we've been fortunate lately because it seems like our kids are pretty resilient when it comes to, you know, playing in March. I asked this of all the coaches who come on, uh, and especially, uh, you know, for coming from a guy who played in the lowest division. I can't stand the fact that they have five divisions, um, but you guys won the fifth division. You know, what do you, do you, do you like that whole system? Do you like the way that's set up? And, you know, now you guys are in four now, and now you're, I guess, you move up a class. I don't know who else is in that. Uh, the yeah, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm a huge fan of the five division. I think it waters down yeah. uh, the divisions as you start to move up to, Four, three, and two. Uh, I mean, one is one is obviously a very good division, but um, I would like to see you know, back to four divisions. I think that the issue is, you know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of new additional schools, the correct schools, and the mm-hmm. magnet schools that have yeah. come in and have uh, you know just haven't been successful. Um, I think if you look at Division Five, I think there's going to only 25 teams, maybe 26 that might make the tournament. Uh, and we're not even talking 500. We're talking eight wins. Mm-hmm. Um, when I played in high school. You had to go 500 to get in the tournament. Yeah, which so, is what they should do still. Which opinion. they should do. I agree, too. I mean, going, getting a losing record and being in the state tournament is kind of oxymoronic to me. But, right. um, yeah, I, I would like to see four. I, I, I think the issue with four divisions is that they can't come to grasps on how they're going to deal with you know, the magnet slash Catholic schools. They just can't figure out how they're going to handle that. Right. Um, where do we place them? You know, St. Bernard's has 200 kids and Xavier has uh, 900 kids. So how do you put them in the same division? Right. Well, it's not so much the population number. It's more so that they draw from 20 towns. That, exactly. So, um, you know, the, uh, everyone, well, just throw all the Catholic schools, magnet schools in one division. Now, yeah, you could probably look at that, but that's probably not going to fly with the administrators. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. We're right back into where we started. Well, how do we how do we decide? Do we take a, a three-year average? Do we take enrollment? Personally, with four divisions, there shouldn't be any Catholic schools in four or five. Correct. Right. right. And there shouldn't be any Catholic. In, in Division five and Division four, shouldn't be one Catholic school, period. They should be three, two, or one. That's my. That would be my... And I came from a Catholic high school. At least I could, you know, when I was at South, we played an L, right. which was either better or just as good as double L. So we never tried to go to S or M. We were always an L. So and I, I don't see why. You know, I think that's an option that they should consider. Yeah. Um, and my other option that, that really needs to be considered is who do you play? And I know for a couple of years they were saying, okay, they were looking at the rule where, okay, if you played 60% of your games against the – uh, you were a small school, and you were playing L and double L schools. Well, you had to move up to L because 70% of your games were against L schools because it wasn't fair for you to go back and play S you know, schools during the tournament, which I thought was legitimate. It's fair. Now, you know, an example would be Trinity Catholic. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're playing all those schools, and then two years ago they come down to us and play Westbrook. Right, and that makes no sense. The fact that they do like I, I that, will... that's, what led, that's what led to the five divisions was after that game. They right. won't say that, but that's what I think that that was such a a wrong thing that happened. Trinity Catholic was playing all these L and double L schools in the FCAC is coming down and playing Westbrook or the Shoreline. Well, right. Sacred Heart, too, the year before. I think that was really where it started. Sacred Heart well, yeah, Valley that, two years in a row. Right. Yeah, I mean, if they were in S, they wouldn't move up. That was their choice. But uh, It's almost like, Coach, the, the league you play in should be a division in the States. They don't right. – there's and a I'm going to make an argument here that if you – like any team in the Shoreline should yeah. not be playing in – Back when they were four, we none, none of our team. If you're playing basically 20 games a year against Class S schools, you shouldn't play in Class M in a state tournament. Right. I, and I had that argument with some of the folks. I'm on the committee. That's not fair to my kids. Right. It's not fair that I play 20 games. Maybe I play two games against Class M. Maybe. Right. Because they're non-league games. And then I got to go play in Class M in a tournament. When I'm playing, you know, Class S schools for the the whole season. That's that's not fair. Yeah. But I think the problem because they want to make sure that there's, you know, number parity, you know, 48, 48, and, and that's not the way to do it. It's just not, it's not fair to shoreline teams. And I'm speaking mostly for Class S for up in Litchfield County. You know, I don't think it's fair. that Look at Womogo. They're in Division Three because they have a uh, BOAC program. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Days. Like, come on. Absolutely. A little common sense, Absolutely. please. They just need to <laughs> disregard stuff like that. Throw that out. See, I, I want to I want to see like Shoreline, Berkshire League, maybe you know an NCC and Triple C. You know, uh, maybe that. Yeah, maybe that's a Division Four tournament. Then like yep. maybe like the small like the NVL. Uh, you know, whatever. And then in, like ECC, they're in like Division Three, and then you have like, and you're gonna go up the way, and then you have a, then you have your power division, then you have like your Catholics and your Hill Houses and all yep. that kind of stuff. That's what I would like to. Think. I think that's. To me, yeah, that yeah, sounds I mean, like a reasonable way. I mean, you look at Class S schools like like this year, East Hampton, you, you know that because they took the three-year average and they were good for the last two years, and now they're in, now they graduated five seniors. I mean, and they're, in, they're in Division Four, Old Saybrook Division Four. I mean, they're, I mean, it's just, I don't know. The success uh, thing uh, makes no sense to me either, Coach, but, you know, anyway. But anyway. So. But there's no, I mean, in fairness to everyone, there is no easy or fair Totally, no. Not everyone's going to be happy. Right. You know, they're going to be unhappy. They're going to be unhappy. Someone's always going to be unhappy. But I think the majority is like, you know, the size of these schools and you know who they play. So there's not a there's not an 800 boy school in Class S playing in a the, the Shoreline or the N Triple C or the Litchfield County. This is just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't. You know, and that's you know, and you have all these correct schools too. The problem is you'd have maybe 60 schools in there, and then you would cut back on Class M would only have 35 or 36, and they don't want that. They want to have, you know, so they can get all 32 teams in a bracket so they can have five tournament games and et cetera, et cetera. So it uh, works that way. All right. Well, John Pannon, Grandma Coach John Pannon, thank you for joining us on the uh, podcast this week. Uh, we appreciate your time. The Panthers play Adam Kalingworth on Wednesday, Old Lime next Monday, and the Shoreline Tournament a week from Saturday on the 23rd. And they're currently eighth in the poll and undefeated 18-0. John, thank you for your time. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right. Take care. All right. Um, well, um, you know, I didn't get to it. He just, he's great, first of all. 
Yes. Um, the thing I did not get to is that, and I'm like, he's got a Wikipedia page, so I'm like, kind of like rolling through this. So um, he's the he was he played overseas. He got drafted by the Hawks. Yep. And then he, you know, he had a pretty long career, like a ten year career overseas. But he didn't play in the NBA, correct? No, he did not. I mean, he might have. Let's see what happened here. Uh, um, I think he played. Uh, he he played seven games for the Hawks in the eighty three eighty four season. Okay, he did. Okay. Right, and then uh, he then he went to the CBA for like a year, but then he went out to. Spanish, uh, Spanish the Liga A ACB. I, I don't know anything about European basketball, but he they actually he actually went there. He played there for another like eight years, right? And he actually won the the Spanish Cup, which is like you know their their NBA finals, mm-hmm. you know. And he was the MVP. I didn't know that. How about that? Well, and he's got a jersey retired at Villanova. I mean, he, he's a legend. Yeah, he is. And he legend. he he, he's, well, he wouldn't talk about that, but I mean, I would love to know who. Man, I. I got talked to him on my own time about who he, who else recruited him and all that stuff, and, and I didn't bring it up. Oh, there's so many things you could talk to him. Well, about. I didn't bring it up. I break his chop, but he was in the thirty and thirty on Five Slam Jamma because yeah. they oh, were yeah. in, Villanova was in the Elite Eight, and they got oh, blitz, and he got interviewed right. and about and he talked about playing Elijah Wan and, and Clyde Drexler and all I those mean, guys, and that was Five Slam Jam was an incredible. People see people and the kids don't know. You have to show them YouTube about Five Slam Jamma. What's that? But. It was an. I mean, it was before my time. Before I really started watching college oh, yeah. basketball, it was uh, incredible. Yeah. And for him to play in the Big East when you had Massimino and Thompson, he played at the Seca. golden age of the Big East. And it was just starting to get good because when they didn't yep. talk about when Ewing got there and about you yeah. know, St. John's and, and Georgetown and Villanova yeah. and and yeah, obviously when you got Syracuse and I got the UConn, it was UConn it was much Syracuse. Different, it was much different, but it was still. It was you still know, the biggest. It was still the nineties. It wasn't the coaches thing when, 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 he, when he talked about the thirty and thirty episode. That was the coaches. It was it was it was a league that they didn't know how it was going to go. and It was going to fall flat. I mean, UConn was a doormat in the league, and they just didn't know how it would be. And ended up being great. And obviously, it's it's missed by a lot of the people like us who are aficionados of the sport. And yeah. uh, now have UConn in the AAC and in uh, in Syracuse in the ACC, and it kind of doesn't really no. It no. doesn't really fit. It never has fit to me. And I. I but it is what it is, and that's you know, football drives everything. But we can spend a whole another half hour on that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, we'll be right back with the conclusion of the uh, Courtside with Joe Morelli podcast. Don't miss a pass, pitch, or putt this season and sign up for the Whistle newsletter to get the latest news and stories sent straight to your inbox from Game Time CT. Welcome back to the Joe Morelli podcast. Um, we're going to quickly dip into the mailbag. Only a couple questions here. Joe forgot to put out the links to have you all comment, so we'll keep doing it. I put it out earlier in the week. I did right. put it out recently, but people are obviously responding. It's good to have interaction. Yeah, so. absolutely. So uh, we only have a couple questions. The, the first question, and I have this question too, and I think I brought it up a few episodes ago. What's going on with the brass and Elm City hoops? That would be Waterbury in New Haven. Well, I think the not one, not a single team receiving votes in the poll. Is there a heart. is there is abs, that's true? Is there a bigger problem here with the preps or magnets vulturing, or simply just a down year? I, I think we when we talked about with Jason Shade, the twelve kids leaving the SEC. I think that is definitely part of this. Uh, the fact that the new, all three New Haven schools hasn't had, had an off year. I mean, I happened to go watch Chesh, uh, Hillhouse winning overtime against Cheshire last night. So there's a lot more balance, but there's like, well, what's wrong? It seems they're not having that very good year. I mean. Um, Wilbur Cross comes out and beats Hillhouse and then loses to Amity. I mean, to be swept by Amity is unheard of. So it's a definitely yeah. a down year. It's a larger trend. 
I don't know. I mean, Cross has struggled at times. They've had good years. They were in the quarterfinals last year. Um, all, everybody, assuming nobody leaves to go to prep school, everybody will be back for Hill House. Uh, I think it, the, the MVL is, I mean, Sacred Heart, we know they're the best team. Crosby has underachieved this year. Um, Holy Cross hasn't been up to snuff. Um, Kennedy's not having the greatest year. I think that's the bigger yeah. surprise to me because there's more teams. Will be. How about Will be? More city teams in Warby at Willby's. Wilby's terrible. I mean, terrible, they're, 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 they're might be the worst Wilby team we've ever seen. But um, as I remember what Walter Wright, you know, although that was about six, seven years ago, and then it'll rival with Crosby. But is it a bigger problem? I, I think we have to wait and see. I mean, I think Hillhouse is entitled to have a bad year. I think they've underachieved. I've said that. I mean, I put it on Twitter. I mean, raise your hand if you thought West Haven was going to have more wins than um, Hillhouse. And I bring that up because Hillhouse assistant Ty Sullivan's in his first year. He's doing a nice job there. So, yeah. you know. I mean, in, 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 in fairness to both Cross and Hillhouse, they do play strong out-of-conference schedules, and they go schedule. I mean, they didn't win any of them, but they do schedule them, so that's part of the problem. But, yeah, they're not up to snuff, and uh, they'll probably both be out early in the Division One tournament. If you could, could you see uh, I've all, one of these teams is going to make a run, you think? One of these, you know, one of, uh, take Sick or Heart well, out of it. You know, who in your estimation? Crosby could because they're in Division Two. Okay. You think that that's their... What, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know off the top of my head. Anybody, in, anybody in D1? I know when the matchups are... You no. Know, you don't see it like a Hill House doing something? No. No, because it, it's too hard. You could win one game, yeah. but you could win two, true. three in a row. It's it's murderer's row. Yeah, I mean, not to steal from the is. baseball, but it is. No, it is murderer's row. I, right. I would be shocked if either Hill House or Cross got to a semifinal. I'd be stunned. I, I'd be absolutely stunned. And I'm, It's right. on record. There you go, if guys. If they do it... Hey, great. More power to them. Yeah, because they haven't really done it all year. Right. So um, The only other question was the, the, the Dev Ostrowski injury. Uh, the Dev injury is just awful. Feel terrible for one of the truly the best players and kids in the state. I agree with you, sir. East line with a healthy Dev was probably a favorite in D3. That opens up the whole bracket now. Who do you even think might be the favorite in that thing? Or who, who are we looking at now? I don't have it in front of me, so you want to call <laughs> right. it up. I don't have the computer in front of me. Well, isn't it? You got Womogo in there, right? Womogo's in there. Amistad's in there. I don't know if they're favorites. But well, I would think Womogo's going to be your one seed. So mm. uh, Let's take a look. Let's, let's put it this way. East Lime and Waterford play each other at Waterford. I'm that's sure right. Waterford's going to be itching for a re- I mean, that's their only loss was in overtime to East Lime. And they've had a great year. And now, obviously, they're the odds-on favorite to repeat in the ECC, and they're one of the favorites in Division Two. At least we can know we know that already. Yeah, I think East Lime's going to be in trouble in Division Three, unfortunately. Um, some of the top uh, seed, seeds right now, as of uh, February twelfth, are right, Womogo right now eighteen and zero. Yeah, Prince Tech seventeen and one. Who's had a really good year and has a very good junior and Kazell Stewart. And yeah, they were. I saw them play Bushado and Waterford last year. Prince Tech. Right, you went up there because yeah, was, and that was and they had a, who was the kid there last the, year? The Sean Jackson, who is now playing for Jim Calhoun at St. Joe's. Yeah, no, I remember. And Jim Calhoun was at that game. Yep. Um, so. And that was uh, I thought he was a great player, and I I actually really liked the the Prince Tech. They they played. they have two stewards, so this is the younger one, and he's like getting looks. I mean, Villanova went to one of his games. Yeah. So, so they're interested to know who's after. After that, you have Farmington at fourteen and three. Torrington, which is having a pretty good. I mean, considering the NVL, I mean, I know that they're they're kind of they could make a run. They could make some noise. Sure. Fourteen and four. Newtown. Uh, They've struggled, struggled down the gate. They have struggled down the stretch, but I don't put nothing past Tim Col- Talkouch. I mean, you, again, you play those in that league. I mean, the SWC has struggled this year. I think as a whole. 
Right. I mean, Stratford and Immaculate are the two best teams right now. I right? think you have uh, Will, then Wilcox Tech at 12-4. and four. Naugatuck, which lost last night, if, I, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. i got to remember that. And then you have East Lyme sitting there at 13-5. Stratford, Berlin, Amistad. Stratford's a dangerous team. And West Haven could be interesting. They're, 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 that's a very interesting division because there's a lot of teams that in there that you can go on the road and win. I mean, Stratford's got a veteran team. West Haven's playing very well. I mean, I watched him beat up on Law. I mean, Law, they just were, didn't belong on the same floor with him. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it opens it up. I mean, I, I don't even necessarily think that Eastline was the favorite. I mean, he was Dev the best player in the division? Yeah, but yeah. is Womogo the best team? I don't know. I mean, let's, we're going to find out. I mean, where's Amistad? They're going to be on the road. Amistad is uh, ranked 11th right now, 11-5. and five. So the, who's the 22? The 22 seed right now would be Bristol Central. Interesting. That's the, see, that's the thing with this. It's like the also-rans versus the small school, the small or small school I, powerhouses. Oh, so Central should be in, if, if any, the only argument there is Central should be in two. But again, they haven't done anything since the, the guy by the name of Big Deli, yeah, was in oh, there yeah. all way back when. And uh, they got, I think it was Central or Eastern has a pretty good players. So I think it was Central. Central. Right, so anyway. hey, look, you 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 are who where you are, and you play who you play against. And Central's in three, and they make a run. God bless them. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't. They're not a basketball powerhouse. I don't have a problem with. I don't. I don't look at it as oh, they don't belong. I, I, the only ones I look at it are what John Panone said. I think the magnets in the cat and, and parochial schools should be. I'm highest division. I've said that. I'm on record for saying it for years before social media was even a thought. Mm. They should be in L or double up, but now they should be in one or two. I just right. think the way it is. And, and right. it's not that simple. I'm not in that room. I don't make those decisions. It's not that easy. I, I mean, we can go on. We can do yeah, a we, whole podcast for two hours and have coaches on, and everybody has their own opinion. And it, I like that idea. We should do that. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but again, it's it's easy they have to make those decisions and, and they're going to keep tinkering with the system until hopefully it works they're not going to make the ultimate decision of putting the perkins in their own division it's not going to happen so this is what we have okay there with that we're uh, just about out of time I, uh, next week we got uh, we're going to start amping up for the, the yeah, for league. the league tournaments finally this is this is need a little spice here and i love league tournament season i love the fact that this state uh, for all its problems, actually emulates the NCAA when it comes to you play a league tournament and then it's like Selection Sunday. I mean, even though there really is no Selection Sunday that you find out where you guys go the next day, uh, I think it's pretty great. And uh, so um, I'm anxious for that. Um, anything else for this week, Joe? You're, you're good, right? No, that's it. I think, we, I think John Pannone covered a lot of it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> he I, does I, talk at Blue Street. Man. Yeah, absolutely, he does. For Sean Patrick Bowley, this is Joe Morelli with the Courtside Podcast. We'll see you next week.